The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we are here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet and we're so excited to have this opportunity to be with you guys. I, uh, we're coming to you live from places around Southern California and we're going to be with you live for the next hour talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We hope that you will participate because this is meant to be interactive. There are a bunch of different ways that you can participate. Uh, first of all, you can watch us on autism-live.com and you can, the chat is working now. If you go to the bottom of the page, click on the chat button, then you can send in your live messages and we'll try to monitor those uh, today because we haven't been because it wasn't working, but it's working now. You can also write into us. I know for a lot of you, the preferred method is on YouTube and Facebook. We are live on both of those platforms right now, in addition to being live on Periscope and Twitter. So write into us whatever way you prefer. We're a little bit, we're a lot more immediate with Facebook and YouTube. We are not able to get to all the questions and comments anymore because there are so many of you writing in, that's a quality problem, but we'll do our level best to get to as many as possible. You can also write in to me personally at s.penrod at autism-live.com. That's s.penrod, the last letter is a D as in dog, at, uh, at autism-live.com. Uh, also, if you want to watch us later on, you can watch us in podcast format on iTunes. It is a free download. You can do either picture and sound or picture. I know somebody wrote in and said that they were listening to us in the car the other day. I absolutely love that. Uh, you can easily do that if you download us on iTunes. We're also on Deezer, excuse me, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Coming to you on two new platforms uh, in just a few weeks. So that's a very exciting thing. We'll let you know when we have more information about that. I uh, wanted to get that out of the way because I want you to be writing in. Dr. Grampichet is here with us today. That's our favorite day when she is here with us. She is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40 years. Hello. I don't even know how that's possible. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I know you're like, stop. Don't <laughs> you know, let me say a word. Yeah. Um, but she's fabulous. Um, and she looks at autism and sees the whole individual, not you know, just a label and she sees the whole family and has been working in that field, helping all of us for more than 40 years. And she's here this morning to answer your questions. You, we do have to give you the disclaimer that there is no expert in this field or any other field that can give individual specific advice. That wouldn't be fair to that individual, right? You need to have eyes on the situation, but you can write in and ask her a question, get a whole bunch of information so you can go back to the experts in your area. I'm rushing because I want to get to the good stuff. I want to get to as many questions as possible. Dr. Grampichet, how are you today? I'm well, thank you, Shannon. How are you? 
I'm good and I'm grateful to be here because this is uh, the most fun for me. Uh, and I'm saying hello to Christina, who is saying hello to all of us. Thank you for being here with us. Okay, I want to start with a question that came to us from Ireland. Uh, and you had answered part of a question from this dad last week, and then they wrote back in with some more information. And they said, Dr. Doreen is brilliant. Just mm -hmm. had to say it. Uh, wow. We're all thinking that too. They say that their child has idiopathic toe walking. The occupational therapist we met didn't impress me and I haven't met a decent physiotherapist and I can't figure out how to get my boy off his toes. Uh, he has educated me into realizing that not every doctor is equal. Mm, amen to that. The question I have to ask is that, is he capable of walking? He walks for his mother. In fact, he is strong and he is capable of running like an athlete. However, he got into a habit and anytime I take him out, he insists for the duration of what could be an hour or more walk, uh, of walking being on my shoulders. Here he directs me and tells me where to go. He knows where shops are and what streets have his specific trees on them that he will pick from. My problem is not just smoothly getting from A to B, going into a neighbor's gardens. It's the strain on my shoulders. It's not going to be safe uh, much longer up there. Sometimes he has uh, walked for me, but this is becoming a distant memory. My dream is to walk the streets without him uh, nursing on my shoulders because it makes life difficult. So on your live stream, I would love to learn how to get him off my shoulders. Uh, the speech therapist today who is ABA because I gave, uh, uh, because I asked, gave me a strategy for him not being on my shoulders. Now the biggest step to free my shoulders. May God bless you. And again, a dad from Ireland. Uh, so Dr. Grampuche. A lot of, a, a long question, but a, but a very short and easy answer, I think. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I completely understand and sometimes as parents, we uh, just start to do something and then before you know it, it becomes the new norm and then it's a scary thought breaking out of that. Uh, but, uh, and, and I don't know, Shannon, do you remember how old this child is or? I believe this child is younger than six. I don't remember age. Yeah, that's but younger than six. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, it's a really easy answer, and that is just stop. And, uh, you know, often I think we don't stop these patterns of behavior because we're worried that our kids will tantrum or uh, have a major, major reaction, but uh, it will stop. I mean, and as you know, Shannon, if, if dad stops putting the child on his shoulders, uh, it is possible that the child might throw a tantrum, be very angry, um, and uh, not want to walk. Um, and that's totally fine, um, because if you can manage it so that there's a place that he actually wants to go, uh, let's say even outside, like, you know, a, a very short distance, like from one room to another, um, or just from the front of the house to the park, something very close by. Um, if, uh, and then uh, if he does that, then you can still reward him by putting him on your shoulders, but you have to gradually increase the distance that he is walking by himself. Um, keep the toe walking issue separate 
from this. They're, they're two separate things. Uh, the toe walking could be a number of other things. Uh, we could talk about that in a minute. But the fact that he's learned a habit of sitting on your shoulders does not mean that he can't walk. He certainly can walk. And uh, you should absolutely uh, set a plan. Let's say uh, this, uh, this little excursion around the town. Um, why don't you start by, uh, you can actually do it forward or backward shaping however you prefer. Uh, you can either start by saying the first, you know, 10 meters he has to walk and then you will carry him the rest of the way and then that becomes 11 and 12 and 13. Or you can begin walking him and as soon as the house is visible, uh, the last 10 meters, let's say, he has to walk home. Um, either way, you need to start fading out the shoulders and, and reinforcing the more steps that he takes. Um, so that's an easy one. The toe walking can be different things. Um, toe walking, there are behavioral things you can do. For instance, he could be, you could put um, high top shoes on him um, and practice walking with flat feet. Uh, behaviorally, it does work. Um, there's not clarity on why toe walking uh, begins. There are some, uh, uh, I guess, medical folks who believe that toe walking also has to do with kind of holding your bowels. So it's kind of like a convert going to the bathroom. Um, I don't know if he has gastrointestinal issues that may have started that. Uh, but regardless, it is definitely something that you can control uh, and gradually reteach him to walk normally. I know you've mentioned before on the show about that sometimes there's a correlation with a visual issue when they're toe, toe walking too. And, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll tell you what my question is, is that, because uh, you've taught me always to like be in the perspective of the kiddo and think, what am I getting out of this? And I was thinking about being on, you know, dad's shoulders. I can remember being a little kid and getting to be on my dad's shoulders and I remember, you know, the difference between when you are the shortest person in the family and the view of what you get to see versus the view of when you are the tallest, which when you're on your dad's shoulders, you are the tallest. And you get to see different things and you get to see the world in a different way. Dad, you've even mentioned that, you know, he knows which trees and he can pick things off of them. Well, that's a big reinforcer. And when you go from that to being the shortest, and I'm just thinking... You know, if it's also a visual thing, that what you see in those two things Very is vastly Very different. Absolutely, Shannon. And that's a great uh, uh, observation. Um, there are, there, um, I don't know if you remember, there was a doctor, uh, Dr. Kaufman, and his area of expertise was kind of the, uh, the visual uh, input of our kids. And uh, he had played around a lot with lenses like glasses and lenses that would when you put them on um, they changed your visual field in the sense that they kind of made you uh, it, it changed the angle of what you were looking at with toe walking you're absolutely right you are kind of putting yourself a little bit higher 
um, when you put on these glasses that this doctor had, your toe walking would decrease because it felt like you're going uh, downhill. It looked like you're going downhill. So you would basically, when you go downhill, you tend to put your weight back. So, um, and that would eliminate the toe walking. So it could very well be a visual thing. And you do have a very good point that being on dad's shoulders does feel kind of like how it feels like when you stretch yourself or you toe walk. Um, so they could be absolutely related to a visual thing. I, um, I, I don't, and that would be worthwhile looking into for sure. And again, uh, one of the things that you mentioned is this child is enjoying like picking fruit off a tree. So maybe you allow him to get on your shoulders when you're underneath a tree, but the rest of the way he has to walk. And so picking fruit off the tree becomes a reward. Um, I, I kind of feel like a lot of times we, uh, things might start uh, from a biological perspective, like behaviors might initiate because there's some either a visual thing or a sensory thing that's leading to it or even a GI thing. And then they become habit. Yeah. And the habit portion is what you can reverse behaviorally. And so I think it's worthwhile trying with this child to just let him, uh, let him uh, be upset if you don't put him on your shoulders. I think that's the hardest thing for parents is to see their kids just having a major tantrum. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing too. And I think it's, I think it's a lot like panic attacks that, you know, everybody says the, the, the hardest thing is not the panic attack. It's after you have one panic attack that you're constantly worried that you're going to have another one. So yeah. even if you're not in a panic attack, you're worried that you're going to have a panic attack. And your child might not even be tantruming, but the fear that they will tantrum um, and, you know, you walk into a family party and you're like, I hope they don't have a tantrum. And the child does one thing. They're not even tantruming. And we escalate into this. Oh my gosh. And I know for me, the way I would talk to myself in those moments, the thought process would be, oh no, this is what's going to happen. It's probably my fault. This is going to be the rest of my life. My life will never be better than this, this, and, and I wouldn't be in the moment anymore. Um, but I have to say that you guys taught me how to be thinking about that three-term contingency. What has happened? What can I change? What's the behavior? So if he's already in the tantrum, what's the behavior? Like mentally taking notes, like you could become a court reporter. And that quiets all that other voice. And then it makes you more effective at changing the behavior. That really helped me. Yeah, and I, and I, I think also it, some of it has to do with the uh, inability to predict things, right? So it's kind of like with a panic attack, you never know when they're coming. And, but with, in this scenario, I think we just fear doing the thing that's going to initiate the, the horrible tantrum. And if you know that you have it under control, it becomes a little bit less anxiety provoking, I think. So why don't you just, you have to kind of change your mindset and say, I'm actually going to evoke a tantrum. I'm ready, I'm armed, <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is the time and I'm going to do this and I know he's gonna have a tantrum, but that's totally fine because I'm prepared for this and I'm just gonna wait it out. And if you know that tantrums are not the end of the world and that our kids do settle down, even if the tantrum takes an hour, uh, then you're more, more brave and more able to do it. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. And I think as parents, we worry about 
uh, our kids in a different way, right? If it was a typically developing child who tantrumed, uh, many of us would be like, oh, he'll be fine. Like, let it's okay, he'll get over it. But with our kids who have a diagnosis, we think we should never let them tantrum. Um, and that's not the case. They can, they can aggress and tantrum and express themselves just like any other child would. Um, but it isn't a, an expression that we want to reward. It's yeah. an expression that we want to extinguish. So um, when that expression of a tantrum occurs, we need to kind of ignore it. We did a series a few years back, and we're not able to show it to you at this time, um, but it was called The A Word. And in it, the little boy um, loved going outside. He would mand and request to go outside. He would mand for grass. And, but then they, uh, they got into a habit where he did not want to hold his mother's hand and he wanted to run away from her. And they were working on several different things with safety, but it had gotten to a critical point. And they, went, they show on the A word that first they sit down and do a social story with him, these crayon drawings that, you know, Jack goes outside with his mom, Jack, you know, holds his mom ha mom's hand and he gets to be on the grass. If Jack does not hold his mother's hand, he has to come inside. And every day they would read through the story and then he would request grass and they would go outside and um, they, you know, it, it, she would say, hold my hand. And if he refused, she would say one more time, hold my hand. And if he refused, she would pick him up and take him back inside. Grass is gone. Yeah. And, and they showed going through it where he threw a tantrum. He tries to bite her because he's so mad at having to hold hands, but they stick to, and they, you know, they have people there to help with the intervention. And, you know, once he learns, if I don't hold hands, uh, you're going to take me inside, man, he throws the mother of all tantrums, right? Um, and they don't have any reaction. They go inside. At one point, dad, who I love on this thing, he was like, now see if you don't, and everybody's like, hey, can you come over here and talk about pie with me? Because <laughs> yeah. dad wants to yak about it. And they're like, hey, what kind of pie did you have yesterday? And he's like, pie, what are you talking about? And later on, he realizes, oh, right, I wasn't supposed to talk about it, right? But, but it took two days. And then he was like, right, I only get to be outside if we hold hands. I want to be outside. I'm holding hands. I'm not biting anyone. I'm not tantruming. And you go, oh, right. It was two miserable days. But now he's outside and he's holding hands and everybody's safe. Woohoo! Right? It can be done. But you got to stick to it. And get reinforcements like they did. They had other people there to help so that if, you know, mom needed help carrying him to get him inside and staying calm, cool, and collected, not being bit, you know, you do what you have to do. Definitely. Um, I, and I love that we use, Norm, you know, we used to be able to say, so go and watch this episode. And, and when you see someone else doing it, it's so much clearer than when you're going through it. Right, Dr. Grampuchet? Oh, yeah. It's hard initially. You know, I always, when I give advice to parents, I wish I was there because it's so, there's, you have so many options. Like, first of all, there's so many different things you could do. It's just very hard because uh, the child will react differently and then you kind of have a new plan and you have to adjust your plan and all that sort of stuff. But I think the, the basis of this one in particular is just don't worry if he has a big tantrum. It's not a big deal. Just make a rule. And the rule is today you're going to have to take, you know, 10 steps. Today you're going to have to take 20 steps. And if you do that, then the rest of the way I will carry you and just keep in, in the, that number. He will get it. I want to move on to our next question that was uh, sent in to us. Our granddaughter is autistic. She's 16 years old. She's such a sweet girl, but we're concerned uh, that she uses foul language loosely and flips her middle finger. 
She only does this to us, the immediate family. I've talked to her card counselor about this and she said that she'll be working with our granddaughter about this issue. Is there any recommendation from you on how we can stop her from doing this? Thank you. Yeah, so I mean, I think this is a, a similar, as, as, as much as it's a different uh, scenario altogether, it's a similar situation in the sense that she's receiving um, uh, reinforcers that are kind of embedded in the situation. Um, I'm thinking that when she does that with you, there's some sort of reaction. Um, and honestly, as strange as it sounds and as difficult as it might be, uh, the most important thing is to not have a reaction to this type of behavior. Um, and when I say not have a reaction, that means not positive or negative. So you cannot, when she does those things, comment on, oh, we don't say those things. Oh, we don't, don't do that with your hands. You all, you just, you can't have any kind of um, change. You have to behave as if the behavior did not occur. That means she could be saying something very rude or, or, you know, showing her middle finger or whatever it is. And you still have to engage as if it's not happening and talk about other things and go on a walk and do all the other social things that you're doing. It's, that is super, super hard, but after a while, if she doesn't get any kind of reaction, it'll be just like the way she is with others. It's hard. You know what I find funny? I mean, I think we can all relate to the fact that we're all a little bored right now. At this point in the program, the things, the things that we used to like to do to entertain ourselves have diminished That's somewhat, true. right? Everybody's a little bit bored. And I was trying to explain this to a parent the other day that you know, we think our job is to like reprimand our child to, you know, let them know you didn't do this right. We don't understand that we are really good theater. And if I am bored and I'm a child and I have no other entertainment, watching my mother go womp, 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 womp is entertainment. That is theater. And if I make her mad enough that she's bouncing off the walls, like it's, we are entertaining people and, and it's attention and Everything that your mother and your grandmother ever taught you about, you know, you need to talk to your kids about it. We really need to put all that stuff to the side. We want to demonstrate to our kids when you do this, all the good things happen. And when you don't do that, it's like the lights are off. Nobody's punishing you, but the lights are off. The party isn't happening. That's right. And Shannon, we th like in this particular case, we all assume that she knows what the middle finger even means or that she knows that the words that she's saying what they mean i don't know that she necessarily even knows it's just a game it's kind of like when i see my grandparents you know as you know in behavior everything is either a an antecedent or a consequence right everything so uh the in this case uh, she says or does something that is shocking and inappropriate and the grandparents react, right? Possibly. Now, just seeing grandparents ha could have also become an SD or discriminative stimulus for this game, which is, oh, they're the grandparents. This is how I'm going to interact with them because I get a reaction every time I do this and that's kind of a fun interaction. So it's all, it, we need to... Uh, as behaviorists, it always helps a lot if you don't, if you give up all everything you know about a behavior from the past, like just 
and just look at it as an overt behavior. That's why we talk about overt behaviors because we give behavior so much meaning. It's just an act. It's a physical act that she does and you're trying to reduce that physical act. There's no meaning behind it. It's just she does an act and you are trying to reduce that. So the way to reduce that is to ignore it and, uh, and, and move on. I'm trying not to laugh because I know this is very serious to these grandparents and, and that it's something to be concerned about. But I, I will say that, you know, I don't know if our audience knows this. I don't even, I think you know this a little bit, Dr. Grampiche, because I've told this to you before. But, you know, one of my hobbies is swearing. I enjoy a good swear fest. And for me, it's a release. You know, I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't drink alcohol. I don't do any kind of recreational drugs. I swear from time to time. Um, and I enjoy it. I will swear at the television set on a daily basis. For me, it is an outlet. Um, but one of the things that, you know, my child learned to swear then. And, you know, we set up guidelines about when swearing is appropriate and when it's not appropriate. Because for me, you know, that's a big deal. I obviously, I think once in nine years, I said an inappropriate word and it wasn't the worst one on this show. And then I was very apologetic and said, oh, 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 once in nine years. And I've been in classrooms, you know, for 20 years and I have never, well, once, once. But it was because it was in, in something that somebody was doing on, and I was repeating it. That's the only time I've ever said a swear word in a classroom. And then my class laughed for so long and for so hard, we had to call the class because they laughed. But it was something that was in the monologue that the actor was saying. It wasn't me saying it. Um, I'm just saying, you know, so I, I just want to also put it out there that, you know, we said to our son, because he gets online with his friends and it is like a social thing where they play games and they swear at each other. And we set guidelines for this is what's appropriate for someone your age and this is what is not appropriate. And swearing at your grandparents, not appropriate. Right. The fact that she's only doing it with these people is interesting to me. But, I, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, you're right that it, she may not even know what it is. But for people who do have kids who know what it is, we just put black and white barriers on it, like what we have in our lives. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Grampiche's not on here cussing it up. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not the place. And in their environments, there's a, a, one of the lessons that I uh, remember we made for skills, which is kind of a, a very important lesson, has to do with identifying the contextual cues of the environment. And, and it would be very appropriate, let's say, for a teenager uh, to swear when they're interacting socially with their friends, let's say, if the friends are also doing that not appropriate with grandparents. And that, that's a contextual cue. Um, and I think, you know, just the same, exactly the same, this child or adolescent has now gotten the contextual cues mixed up a little bit and thinks, oh, when I see grandparents, that's the time I swear because then it looks really funny when they all react. And so- Yeah. Yeah. Good theater. Uh, we've got a big conversation going on on Facebook about food and diet. Uh, one parent wrote in and said, we've been doing a whole foods diet. And when he ate pizza, he was all over the place. Wow. Can't believe how much food has affected his behavior. And she said he was bouncing off the walls. Another parent said, that's like sugar in my child. Um, and I know this has been a conversation. Somebody says pasta affects uh, the behavior of their child. Um, and, and so, and the parent who had pizza said he was up, uh, one 30 
a.m. till 12 noon bouncing off the walls. Amazing. So, um, you know, I know this is something that we've been talking a little bit more about and saying that we're going to talk more about it. I didn't know if you wanted to comment. Yeah, sure. I mean, I am a, I'm a big, big believer that diet has a huge impact on our kids, on us uh, in general. And there's many different aspects to what goes on with diet. I mean, and I'll just uh, quickly, you know, thinking, we always think that a lot of our parents, or I think, have been in the field for so long. And I always think, oh, all the parents have been in the field with me this long, right? But the truth is, uh, 40 years ago, we didn't know anything about how diet affects our kids. And 40 years ago, we had a very different diet than we do now in the United States. And, um, but over the course of time with autism, we started to learn a lot more about the gastrointestinal issues that coincide with a lot of our kids. A lot of our kids have GI issues. And uh, the whole concept of a leaky gut began within autism, right? And the leaky gut concept is a very, very simple concept. And it is that certain proteins, like uh, in particular, when this concept came up, it was more, it was gluten and casein. And gluten, of course, is the protein that is in grains, like wheat and so on. And casein is the, is the protein that is in dairy, like cheese, for example. So uh, those two proteins, so normally when we eat proteins, uh, we break the protein down from a protein to a peptide, from a peptide to an amino acid, and then the amino acids go through our system and give us nutrition. Think of amino acids as like individual uh, cells and proteins as like a number of amino acids uh, attached to each other. And, and unless you do the entire breakdown, you're not getting the, the benefit of the amino acid. Um, so what happens with gluten and casein is that many of our kids will break the gluten or casein, the protein down to just the peptide level and not further to the amino acid level. Now what happens with then is that those peptides begin to leak through the gut lining and that is just because there's so much inflammation in the gut lining. And when they leak through, they mimic, they, they will go through the system and once they get to affecting the brain, they are mimicking endorphins, right? Endorphins are kind of um, what we produce in our body that makes us feel very positive. Like you get endorphins when you do running, for example, or when you work out, that, that feeling. So these, these uh, proteins cause a lot of mischief in the body. They cause a lot of mischief in the brain, right? Because they're, they look exactly like an endorphin. So they make you feel kind of loopy and out of it and like happy and so on. So as a result, you end up eating or craving more of this stuff that's going to make you feel out of it and a little bit loopy and high, right? So our, the, we, our kids go into this cycle of craving stuff that's actually not good for their brain, stuff that's going to make their brain very out of it and, and um, loopy. So um, it became very, very clear to us 
early on, like 20 years ago or maybe more, that we need to keep our kids off of certain foods. And over time, we learned that it wasn't just gluten and casein. For some kids, it's also soy. For some kids, it's also corn. And we gradually came to realize that our children have, uh, there's a lot of different foods that they cannot break down. Now, to make matters worse, over the course of time, uh, our food source has gotten worse too. So our food source is now almost entirely genetically modified in the US. And so uh, everything is kind of like fake food is what I call it, right? It looks beautiful, but there's no genetic, there's no, there's no nutritional value to it. And then on to, so that in itself also increases all sorts of inflammation in the gut. So, um, you know, and I won't go on because I get very passionate about talking about all the toxins because I truly believe autism has, a, is a, is a, has, to, has more to do with uh, redox cycle and not being able to detoxify from environmental toxins than anything else. Um, and so I feel that a, a lot of what goes on with our kids is basically reacting to the food they eat. Uh, in some ways, you're lucky if you had a child who reacts very, very strongly to pizza, because then you know right away, pizza is both gluten and casein. Just get them on a diet and eliminate um, casein and gluten, which is not easy to do. And uh, we've done that with a lot of our kids in the past. And you start out with just uh, eliminating the casein and waiting uh, three weeks and then you eliminate the gluten which is a little bit harder not that not much harder these days because you can pretty much buy everything gluten-free um and then see how your child is doing because wonderful you found something that you can change that will help improve behavior yeah i'm just gonna throw in there that um make sure that you're looking at what you're getting gluten-free and that it's not more of the because now there's so many things that are gluten-free that sometimes it's like, it's all sugar, which is also not the best thing for our kiddos. Um, so, so be mindful. I love that you were doing a whole food diet with him. And, and she says, just having him on the whole, whole food diet um, changed the way his BMs were that he was before he was having a BM every nine days. And, uh, and now he's having, uh, you know, I know TMI, you guys, but a good large BM at least two times a week, and that's going in the right direction. But I think, as Dr. Grampiche said, since, since pizza caused that reaction, that not just a whole food diet, but looking at adding those in. If anybody doubts this and you're like, well, I, you know, please know that it's not all kids. The studies have been, um, you know, coming in about gluten-free, casein-free, and the reason why everybody hasn't gotten on board with it is because it doesn't work for everybody. For some kids, as Dr. Grampichet said, it's other things. But I think it's worth a try to try the gluten-free, casein-free diet. But if you're going to do it, you have to, it's not the kind of diet where you can go on it and be like, well, and then he had crackers in the afternoon and we didn't see a result. Um, it doesn't work that way. You need to be on it like strictly for I would say at least three months. And I think most doctors say six months before you give up. Yeah. So somebody wrote in and said, we've tried it twice and we didn't see something and that's possible. But I also know a lot of families were like, well, we tried it for like two months and we only had McDonald's once a week. And I'm like, well, then, then you're not going to get the results. Um, I do yeah. want to say, 
about the milk thing in, I think it's 1984. If you Google Phil Donahue milk allergy, you will find a video. And I think it's from 1984 where he had a doctor come on the Phil Donahue show. Uh, I just met Phil Donahue and like thanked him for this. Uh, Cause I think it was cha life changing for a lot of us came on the show with a bunch of small children and he did something highly unethical. I don't think anybody could ever do it again. I don't know if you have ever seen this, Dr. Grampiche, but he had a bunch of children that had been having behavior problems. They had removed milk from their diets and these children were much better. And instead of showing us before and after videos, he sat the children on the stage. He said, we're gonna feed them some milk and we're gonna go to commercial and we're gonna videotape what happens. And those kids wow. were screaming, yelling, throwing, th I mean, so unethical right, to do that to those little children. But he wanted to make a point because people were poo-pooing this. And you watch those children turn into kids who are tantruming within 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so if you're thinking that it can't have something to do with your child's behavior, I would ask you to just like take a look at that video and go, okay, maybe. Um, uh, they wanna know, do you recommend a, an IgG food allergy panel? Yeah, I mean, we always used to recommend an IgG food panel and yes, uh, you should, if you can, go see an allergist and get a food panel. The issue is that uh, they're not always accurate. Our body can throw these tests off and uh, you might see uh, what, what often we see is a, a reaction to everything on these food panels. It just shows, oh my God, he's allergic to every single thing. And that is often because there's so much inflammation that the reading is incorrect. So uh, even if you do a, a food panel, what ends up happening is you will need to one by one reduce various things so that we get to a point where inflammation is less and then they can actually start to determine what is the specific trigger for you, for your child. Um, it is a, a time-consuming thing um, and it takes a while. You just have to be very patient with it and it is not easy to eliminate certain foods. And, and as Shannon said, a lot of times when you go through this in the very first six months, you're eliminating other things that are also triggers that, that you can bring back later, like sugar. Uh, sugar is one that will trigger everyone. And so they will ask you when you go do this with, with a, a doctor or a nutritionist, they'll try to get you off sugar as well as, let's say, gluten and, and for the first six months. And just think about that. Think about how hard it is to do that, just those two things. And of course, we haven't even talked about the pesticides, but I will say this, that um, we took my son for the IgG and it was really worthwhile because we found out that he had a beginning allergy to almonds and we were able to stop almonds in his diet, which was a big deal so that he didn't become like anaphylactic uh, allergic to almonds. That was great. Um, but it came back and said that he did not have an allergy to milk or to gluten. And we also had him tested for celiac. No no celiac, and yet my child would react to milk and gluten. So I just wanna put that out there. And once we took the milk and gluten out, he started, to be, he started to be able to focus and to learn and his language started to come back. And we have several people who've written in and said that it made a huge difference. One yeah. parent uh, who said it's made a huge difference, but by the way, she said, I would bounce for joy 
if my four-year-old who is currently nonverbal said four letter words and she laughed. And that was me. The, one of the first uh, spontaneous full sentences my son said contained an ex expletive and I, you know, like started, I called our, our supervisor, Sabrina Tuma, and I was like, you'll never guess what happened. Who said this word? And I know for sure we didn't, we didn't try to teach it to him. He picked it up. Isn't that incredible? And, um, you know, and it was a bad word, you guys, but I was partying uh, about it. Okay, somebody, want, this is serious business here. Somebody said, uh, it's a, when it's a 22-year-old, nonverbal, 250 pounds, 5'11", and he's hitting you all day long. Yeah. How do you, how do you ignore that meds aren't helping? I was told next stop is a med wash at a psych hospital again. Yeah. And she sent a, I'm sending you a hug. She sent a, a frowny face. Yeah, no, you cannot ignore that. And that is, you know, sometimes we just, what our kids go through, what our parents go through, unbelievable. And you absolutely cannot ignore behavior when you're dealing with a, a an adult who is aggressive period and uh you in those are the cases where even with us as behaviorists we will have uh, two uh therapists and preferably uh, large therapists who have been trained in assaultive behavior management techniques um, and we will have both of them with the individual at the same time, blocking the behavior and changing, uh, redirecting the behavior to other behaviors. Um, as a parent, you cannot do this alone. You need help. And medication can be part of the treatment for sure. Um, but it is not the only treatment, the only part of it. Um, it, it unfortunately, it, it is a behavior that needs to be shaped. Um, it is a challenging behavior that has become effective. Um, you know, it always starts with our, our kids or, or adults uh, hitting to get what they want, to express uh, that they don't want to do something. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a form of communication. I always say hitting is a form of communication. It's, it's an expression of no, or it's an expression of give me. Uh, and, you know, so, and it's a very, very uh, dysfunctional form of communication. And in order to change it, uh, you need help. Uh, you cannot do that alone. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, lately we've been in, in advising parents to call their insurance provider and to say, you know, uh, like to be very clear and don't just talk to the first person who answers the phone, tell them that you need like a an, uh, like they have different words for different insurance company, you know, whether it's a case manager or an ombudsman or, um, you know, they all have different words, but keep asking until you get someone, a crisis management counselor, uh, get someone on the phone because you, you're going to need more help. A lot of times though, um, we've been hearing parents, who, their child ends up on a psych ward and they're not getting the behavioral health that they need. Are, is there any place, I mean, there's a couple of places, I've got a short list of places, but they have waiting lists, but is there any place that you recommend for a hospitalization for a behavioral program, Dr. Uh, Grampuchet? Well, I mean, you know, uh, I know that Kennedy Krieger has a program and um, what is the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the place in Atlanta. 
Uh, which, I, the ones I know are, are Kennedy Krieger, the May Clinic. Yeah, May Institute. Um, Institute. Um, and then what is it, the New England? You know, New England Center, yeah, that's also in, in the Boston area. But the one that I'm thinking about is um, in Atlanta, and I'm blanking on the name. Um, I will tell you in a minute, so I'm going to look it up. But that's a very huge uh, center as well. And they, uh, a lot of ABA providers actually do have assaultive behavior management programs, like we do, CARD does, the Marcus Institute, that's what I was thinking of. Marcus Institute would be probably my number one pick because they have a specialized program for this. Um, and, but what you need to do is just actually talk to your insurance company and say, I need a two-on-one. My child is very aggressive or, and is an adult and I need help. And there are programs for this, um, you, like at CARD, we do have some aggressive adults and we have two therapists working with them at any given time. Um, but it's like, I think we have maybe 200 uh, individuals who are aggressive as opposed to, you know, 5,000 other patients. So uh, it is, it's, uh, it definitely is a specialized program. And I, but I, I just want to give you a big hug and say, it's not something you can handle alone as a parent. Absolutely. Absolutely. But call your insurance company and make them be responsible to you to find you an answer. They have to find you a provider. They have to find you help and support. I just think you want to make sure that you're asking them for behavioral support in addition to the meds. Yeah. Um, if you don't say behavioral support, um, they're going to throw you down the meds. Uh, and that's, you know, meds are great, but you, I, you also need some behavioral support if you're being hit. Okay, we got a lot of things that people are writing in. We've only got 15 minutes left. A lot of things about diet, people wanting more information. I can't get my cursor to move. Uh, would love to know more about diet. Um, somebody says it's so hard with older children. I did the basic switch, gluten-free pizza, breast, uh, excuse me, crust, bread, pasta. Since the child uh, are HS, how can I really be in control of their diet? High school. Um, it's hard. This is, a, this is a really, really hard thing. I know parents who have put a lock on the cabinets and the refrigerators. Um, well, yeah, and, and now, uh, depending on where this family is, is maybe a better time to deal with it since a lot of our kids are still at home or not going to school physically. But it is very hard and, and you will need to, you know, honestly, I gotta say though, in terms of how difficult it is, it's a, a, a thousand times easier now than it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago. 20 years ago, there you couldn't even get gluten-free anything. It was super, super difficult. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, you could only get certain gluten-free things, very limited still at let's say Whole Foods, right? Nowadays, most restaurants offer gluten-free options. So it, it's a very different world. Um, and so don't give up. It's, it's super important to try. And I got to say, you know, a lot of times we feel like, well, what can I do? Because they're older and, and how can I, you know, limit? But sometimes you have to have the whole family go on the diet, which means that the stuff is not in the house. Right. Um, and, you know, I know it's easier with younger kids. And so I want the younger, the families with younger kids to hear that. But 
I have this friend and she was talking about, uh, she came to my house and she saw that my child ate vegetables and she was like, I just don't know how you do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, I was like, I don't, I don't, he's always like vegetables. He's always eaten vegetables, but I always present vegetables. She went on vacation and she was someplace where they had a hurricane and they couldn't leave their hotel room. And the hotel only sent up what they had and they were in like a tropical island. And so it was fruit and vegetables and rice and meat and her kids ate vegetables. And she said, what is this magic thing? (laughs) And she said, I think it might be because that's what was available. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so then that changed how she did things. Uh, She's the one who then, uh, I talk about this all the time on the show, that her kids were always hungry when they came home from school and she'd be cooking dinner and they would get in and they would eat the least healthy things. So what she started doing was taking vegetables, cutting them up, having them on a tray when they came into the kitchen and when they would get into the refrigerator, she would say, you can eat what's on the tray, but it was only healthy choices. And then she didn't care if they ate vegetables at dinner because they'd already eaten their vegetables. And her kids ate vegetables. It's hard. But sometimes we feel like, you know, I have no control over it because they're older, but, you know, they're probably not buying groceries and bringing them into the house, uh, not during COVID. So you, you do have control and you can be sneaky and put just a healthier version of stuff and do it slowly, or you can just cold turkey and throw out everything yeah. that isn't part of what you want to eat. And, and it makes it so that every, everybody in the family, you know, goes, what, what's happening? But every, I'll tell you, everybody will start to feel better. Yeah. Uh, they want to know, can supplements like B12 and lecithin help children on the spectrum? Yeah, no question. I mean, so uh, the B vitamins, some of the kids actually have significant reactions to the B vitamins. B12, generally cyanocobalamin is just going to give you energy. And that's going to be anyone, whether it's a child on the spectrum or us. Um, but there are other B vitamins that also have an effect. I mean, before we start to, and less than, before we start to like talk about the different supplements, then I think it's important to uh, get a complete uh, blood test and to work together with a physician so that you're really supplementing the things that are necessary and not just, you know, what, what everyone else does. We all have different reactions to what's in our environment. So we all have different supplement needs. Okay. Somebody wrote in about magnesium um, and, and DHA and I can't get my cursor to move back up. I don't With know magnesium, uh, yeah. So now we're, again, like I said, there are, and I think you've had on the show several times, Shannon, nutritionists. Yeah. Um, you know, some of our kids benefit from these particular supplements because they have things like so much inflammation that it causes uh, constipation. And then we're dealing with very serious constipation issues. And then uh, supplements are given specifically for those types of things. And let me tell you, sometimes it's life-changing. So I really, really do think that it is worthwhile talking to nutritionists. Uh, I know you've had Julie Matthews on the, on your show and and others I believe and I know that still does a lot of stuff having to do with food and I think these are very very important facts. Yeah, I'll invite Julie Matthews to come back and we just had Lisa Ackerman on a couple of weeks ago, um, and people can go to either Julie Matthews website which is Nourishing Hope, 
Um, and you'll find out, you know, I mean, you'll just go down the rabbit hole because she's got all kinds of resources yeah. on her website. And then uh, Taka, T-A-C-A now.org. If you go there, that's for Taka, um, that, which stands for the Autism Community in Action. And they have lots of stuff on diet. You could, you know, spend the rest of your life looking through the stuff they have there. I found the comment. Once we added magnesium citrate, DHA, DHA and inulin fiber, it got my daughter off of Miralax and improved her behavior. I have to say, you guys, if I don't take my magnesium every day, I am a mess. I'm a yeah. mess without my magnesium. It yeah. helps me to manage, like, you know, because I'm somebody who runs a, a little anxious, mm. as you know, Dr. Gravichet, um, and like, you know, OCD anxious. I take my magnesium and I'm, I'm good. I don't take my magnesium and I'm checking the stove three times. Yeah, uh, my citrate is very, very good for uh, GI issues like inflammation that's causing co uh, constipation. And you know, constipation is is no joke. Like it can really cause a lot of other types of problems and and depression and lethargy and all kinds of things. So yeah, it's it is life changing when you find the supplement that gets you to be regular and even improve sleep. Sleep then improves all of your other learning stuff. Uh, it does help with anxiety. I mean, there's so much stuff that comes with the right supplements. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody wants to know if there's an acceptable sugar substitute. I just want to put in a word for natural whole fruit. A lot of times we get our kids hooked on juice and that, you know, our kids need, need the whole, that's, you know, somebody was talking about a whole foods diet, like giving your child, if possible, and if you have to, you know, mash it up or grind it up, but still starting with the whole fruit, um, you know, a, an apple does not need sugar. Yeah. I know we're led to believe here in the United States that it does, but, you know, that's why so many of us are the weight that I am. You know, I, I'm speaking honestly here. Um, but for our kids, they really don't, they, they don't need it. They yeah. like it. No, right. But if you, I mean, I think you can try and see everybody reacts differently, but you can try and see if your child reacts to agave. A lot of kids are fine with agave, with honey, and if not those of the sweeteners uh from what i've learned stevia se seems to be the least harmful so kind of go in that order there we go do you have any stance on the use of cbd in children with autism i mean i do i i talked about this a long time ago and um when it wasn't okay to talk about it and i i feel like as if, if you're a parent and you have a child who is uh, you know, either aggressive or self-injurious or in some other way uh, their, their challenging behavior is harmful to others or to themselves and they, and you've tried everything. I mean, truthfully, if you've tried uh, medications and you've tried um, behavioral interventions and you've, you, you were not succeeding um, and the child either has pain or anxiety or various other things that can't be controlled, then yeah, I, I consider CBD to be just like any other medication. Um, and it is now legal in many, many states. And I, I think that it is definitely something that should be considered. I mean, I have a 
I have a, a family that I care about very, very much. I've known them for a long time and I know their son uh, very well. And he is now, uh, you know, I think like 18 almost. And uh, he's very self-injurious and it's really, really difficult to um, get through to him and communicate with him. And uh, one of the things that does help calm him down is CBD. And I'm 100% in support of it because I feel like in his case, it is definitely improves his, um, his living and his, his condition in a lot of ways. And it allows him to have a higher quality of life. And, I, and all of everything we do is about trying to get our kids a higher quality of life. That's the goal. Absolutely. Somebody wrote in and said, yes, you know, that they, um, one of the things they tried was the fine gold diet, such a process though, but well worth it. Finally, a physician de detected dairy was causing some of his symptoms uh, onto eliminating gluten, corn and soy, gluten, corn and soy, ugh, that sugar beast. Yes. Ruled out celiac as well. And they said, thank you for sharing this topic. And then another person went on to say, yes, Organic diet with no pesticides, no artificial dyes and sugars is important. My daughter had IgG panel and it was negative for gluten and dairy, but she gets hives and has massive bouts of anger when she eats both of these. Pick me. Um, yeah, I'm all about, if you do the research on what pesticides um, do to our kiddos and how it, it, it makes it hard for them to be able to focus, um, you know, yeah. I think it changed. I think it's impossible in the United States to be on a no pesticide diet, but it, I think every, everything, every time that we try to reduce the amount of pesticide in our kids' diets, we're doing ourselves and them a favor. Um, Very true. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't understand that question. Uh, oh, they're homeschooled, not high school. When they said HS, I was homeschooled, not high school. Got it, got it, got it. Uh, someone said, my son won't eat vegetables if you sneak them into things uh, in, in a small amount. That may not be true. What and, do you say? That? And if, there's, if there are no other choices, that helps as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's wife wrote a cookbook, I don't know, two decades ago about how to sneak vegetables into their favorite foods. I still think it's relevant. Um, I don't have this problem with my son because I fed him vegetables from the time that he was young, but I married a man who hadn't had a vegetable in 10 years. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. And I make meatloaf and I, I, first I steam and then grind carrots and broccoli and put it in the meatloaf. And instead of the eggs and the, the cheese and the breadcrumbs, no eggs, no breadcrumbs. I just stick ground carrots and broccoli. And my husband said to me, this is the best meatloaf I've ever had. What did you do to it? Did not tell him that it was filled with carrots and broccoli. But now, can I tell you, now my husband eats carrots and broccoli. Um, and he was a tougher nut to crack than any child I've ever come across. Somebody says, I love Julie Matthews. Uh, our nutrition person just said, add more fiber, but there is more wrong with him. Uh, yeah. If you remember, I remember this parent, when you told me you were going to a nutritionist, I said, oh, be careful. Because some nutritionists are absolutely fabulous and get it. And others went to school and took the two-hour class on you know, the food pyramid, which is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. If we all ate 11 pieces of bread every day, heaven help us. 
uh, which I think that's what it says we can have. It's just like, it's insanity. I would, you know how um, the Spurlock guy, he did the documentary called Supersize Me? Yeah. He should do a documentary where he just eats the food pyramid to um, see what happens. I'll, I'll bet he weighs 400 pounds by the time he's done. It's insanity. I've told you guys before that when I was pregnant with Jem, I'm allergic to wheat. And I was having, I have a heart arrhythmia thing. I was having a heart arrhythmia while pregnant, went to the hospital. They said, we're going to keep you overnight for observation. And I said to my husband, great, I need you to go down to the grocery store because I'm going to need to eat dinner and they're not going to have anything here at the hospital that I could eat. And she was like, what are you talking about? We, we have a, a kitchen. I said, yeah, but I'm, I, I'm wheat uh, allergy. I can't. She goes, it's, we'll get you a sandwich. And, and, and this is a doctor, right? And a doctor. And, and she said, we'll get you a sandwich. And I said, yeah. And this was, you know, 20 years ago. And I said, yeah, no, I have a, a wheat allergy. I can't, I, and, uh, I can't have bread. And she said, oh, no, we'll get you white bread. Oh, my God. <laughs> and my husband said, I just want to know, what do you think white bread is made out of? White? Like, yeah. is that what you think? A lot of times they don't know. They don't know. You got to go to somebody who knows. Julie Matthews knows. Julie Matthews knows. Look at her website. Uh, we're out of time. I yeah. talked to her. I'm sorry. Uh, I adore you. You are the best. And what a, light, what a light you are in this world. And thank you for being there for us and helping guide us on this path. Always I will so try. Everyone. Have, a, <laughs> have a wonderful week. All right. Uh, I will see you later on. Thank you, Dr. Grampy Shea. Thank you so uh, Hey, you guys, I want to tell you as Dr. Grampiche leaves, bye-bye, uh, that tomorrow on the show, uh, of course, we're doing jargon of the day. We're continuing uh, talking about types of reinforcement. You're going to love that. It's all new jargon. And uh, we are welcoming back to the show, Dina Kimmel. She is the owner and founder of the We Rock the Spectrum's Kids Gyms. And she's got a big announcement about what they're doing in her gyms and how that might be of use to you during COVID. So that is happening tomorrow. And Traven told me who was on on Friday and I cannot remember. But you know, we are playing oldie but goodie episodes uh, during August of Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And so we'll find out who that is and I'll, I'll remember to tell you tomorrow. But uh, we gotta go, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.